welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. So after a brief break, so Morgan could do some academic work, uh, we're now back with a slightly belated episode all about Wonder Woman, but hopefully everyone is still just as excited about clearly the best movie of the summer. We're assuming that by now you have either seen the film or you're not bothered about spoilers. Um, so I'm just going to give like a quick plot summary for the two or three people who have not seen this film. Um, it is about Wonder Woman, who is the daughter of the Queen of the Amazons, an all-female society of warriors who live on the island of Themyscira. It's kind of like an ancient Greek warrior society. Her story kicks off when World War One spy uh, slash pilot crashes his plane um, on the island. His name is Chris, Steve Trevor, and he's played by the wonderfully blue-eyed Chris Pine. And uh, that kind of introduces her to the world of men. It's a version of the origin story from the comics. And then Diana, because she's like a very pure-hearted hero person, this is the first she's heard of World War One. So she decides that she's going to join Steve Trevor and go and try and stop the war, basically. She's been told since childhood that Ares, the god of war, is the source of all wars among mankind. And she thinks if she can track down Ares... Um, she'll be able to stop this terrible war. And it's like a really interesting setting because um, although they do have villains who are Germans, it's more like the villain is the concept of war and she's trying to like prevent more bloodshed rather than winning a battle, which is how like a lot of World War II movies work. So it's like an interesting comparison with stuff like Captain America. So she goes off with Steve Trevor, who I keep trying to call Chris Pine, <laughs> but she goes <laughs> off with Steve Trevor. <laughs> it's a kind of fun fish out of water story, um, a bit like Thor in the Marvel movies. And she eventually kind of tracks down Ares. There's a few red herrings, like there's a German supervillains. There's one who's um, a man who's like a German officer. And the other one is an evil mad scientist lady named Dr. Poison, who designs chemical weapons. But it turns out that they are not Ares. And Ares is actually kind of an English aristocrat who's been manipulating things behind the scenes. And the final kind of ending part of the movie is she has like a classic rather uninspired uh, kind of supervillain battle with Ares. Meanwhile, Steve Trevor saves London by crashing a plane full of deadly weapons in the sky and dying heroically and leaving her, you know, bereft with a wonderful kind of dead boyfriend story in the sequel. So it's a wonderfully emotional ending. We love this movie. Pretty much everyone loved this movie. Let's go, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had to wait a long time for getting to finally see this because I was in dissertation hell and the day I turned in my dissertation on like four hours of sleep, I went and saw this movie and I was actually a little bit trepidatious because I heard a lot of really positive things about it. But I also had heard some mixed to negative things from a couple very discriminating people and I completely loved it and got very choked up at multiple moments in the film and in my sort of sleep deprived haze was like yes this is what I needed right now I'm feeling very emotional uh and then I went and saw it again like three days later and got choked up a second time at exactly the same me too I cried the at all the same points the yeah. second time as the first time <laughs> yeah it was very effective <laughs> and it, I thought it was interesting one of the things that someone had complained about to me before I had seen it was that she found it overly simplistic and very predictable both in terms of the plot and just kind of the dialogue and the scenes that she felt like she could tell what they were going to say before they were going to say it and I don't 
I wouldn't agree about the dialogue, but in terms of sort of what happens in the film, I don't think that that's untrue. It's pretty, it's a pretty straightforward hero origin story. The plot isn't revolutionary, except obviously that it is a female superhero film, which this isn't the first one, but they're pretty rare. But I found actually the simplicity of the plot and the fact that it deals with these kind of big, pure emotions really, really effective. And part of the reason I think that I was really moved by it. I mean, I never cry at films. I didn't actually cry at this one. But even just sort of getting choked up like that is very unusual for me. And I found this so emotionally affecting. And I think part of that has to do with the gender issues, which we'll obviously be talking about. But part of it also has to do with the fact that the film is about these big emotions and has these characters who feel like real people, but also kind of represent just these archetypal ideas in a way that could feel hackneyed, but to me read as just archetypal in a good way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's like finding a Disney movie emotionally affecting. I mean, you can tell when a Disney movie is really good, even if, you know, it's following a formula. And I feel very differently about, like, if Avengers 3 follows a very similar structure to Avengers 1 and 2 or something like that. Because then I feel like it is a kind of cynical attempt to follow on from something that's successful. But this was more like, I mean, partly obviously because it's a female hero, it's sort of showing that you can have this relatively kind of traditional origin story and it works really well with her. But like from an emotional perspective, it's actually a lot more successful than like most superhero origin stories, even though they're doing the same formula. And it's partly because Patty Jenkins, the director, was like completely open about wanting Wonder Woman to be this really emotional kind of positive character who has a lot of feelings and like is generally kind of shown as inspirational. Um, And a lot of people have been comparing it to the first Superman movie um, in the 70s. There's some kind of intentional things in there like there's a couple of scenes where it's actually referenced like there's a scene in an alleyway where Wonder Woman uh, stops a bullet from hitting uh, Steve Trevor kind of like Superman does with Lois Lane and that sort of thing but tonally it's very similar because it's, it is like it's funny there's lots of romance like a lot like the romance is a lot better written than in most superhero movies where it's a little bit threadbare and that's partly because they're sexist they don't bother to uh, develop the female lead uh, so this way it's kind of like kind of like reverse sexism has like benefited the movie because you have to give a personality to the male lead but um, um but it is very much that sort of really inspirational hero thing and like because most of the good superhero movies in recent years have been marvel um it's very different because it's like characters I mean, even like Captain America, who is inspirational, like from a political standpoint, but Captain um, characters like uh, the Avengers, the, the the way they're portrayed in the Marvel franchise is intentionally so they feel like they're in the real world. So you've got a character like uh, Tony Stark, who's really well written, but he's also like a CEO of a company, right? And the recent Batman interpretations have all been very gritty, so it's not something you're going to get, like, teary-eyed about, even if it is, like, interesting in the case of the Dark Knight movies. But with this, it really is going back to that kind of really early, childlike, 1940s kind of messianic character. Um, And it's just been done so effectively, and it still feels fresh, because it's so rare to see that without any kind of cynicism at all. Yeah, and I think that I think this is a better movie than the first Captain America movie, although I also like that one a lot and I think it's very well done. But what they share and what makes both of them quite effective, or one of the things I should say, is that 
they don't have the burden of having to link in with the other franchise films yet. So obviously the first Iron Man and the first Thor movie don't really do that either. I mean, the Thor, I guess, has like a couple Easter eggs, but because of the first ones, they don't. But because these two are historically removed from those other films, they really get to feel like they're their own things. And I think that that helps a lot. Yeah. So just thinking, I mean, I we obviously both watched Batman v Superman, but a couple of times watching this, only once or twice, obviously there's, you know, the beginning of the, and the end that reference Bruce Wayne. I just thought about the fact that Gal Gadot was going to have to be in Justice League and I was so full of despair. <laughs> I thought, oh no. Because it obviously this film is completely totally different from the other DC movies that have come out, but she feels like she doesn't belong in that world at all in a way well, that was they very started refreshing. filming back to back so she basically had like a week between filming wonder women and then God. starting work on justice league and i saw some little clip with her where she was like she said something like oh it's really useful because like you still have the character in your mind and stuff and i was like yeah good because i mean in justice league i kind of liked wonder women but like like not really like i didn't really care that much and also you don't really get sorry in batman v superman in batman v superman yeah. you don't really get like an idea of her personality you know i mean i wasn't hyped about the character and even though i did quite like the trailers for wonder women i really didn't start thinking it was going to be genuinely good until like after the reviews started rolling in because like i just like nothing about her role in batman v superman kind of prepared me for how that character would be reinterpreted um, by alan heinberg like the writer and uh, pat jenkins director in this clearly like Zack snyder just didn't have an idea of what she was meant to be like obviously it's a relatively minor role in batman v superman but i mean i can't really see how they're gonna put this character in the world of justice league it's really hard for me to imagine it makes me very curious because Zack snyder does have like a really specific style you know that he doesn't veer away from and i'm reasonably sure they're keeping that with justice league even though kind of joss whedon stepped in to keep directing so they're gonna have like comedy flash and then like Batman being like in Batman v Superman and then Wonder Woman, who we now know is really inspirational, but she's still going to be in this movie about like, you know, fighting a bunch of space lizards or whatever the fuck it is. Like, <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah, it's very weird to consider, especially seeing as the Wonder Woman sequel is not going to be around for a long time. Well, you posted something on Twitter about this and this is very inside baseball Yeah. <laughs> but looking at the upcoming release dates, of the movies DC has sort of slotted in for the next God knows how many years. And this is the problem with booking all of these things like seven years in advance, which is what they now do. I mean, maybe not quite that many, but at least five. They've got like a cyborg movie planned, right? And like Green Lantern, they've got the Justice League film. And then I think, what is it? A second Justice League? movie if i think that's been kind of mothballed but basically they have like dozens of other spin-offs in the works like joss whedon's doing a batgirl movie and they're doing like a harley quinn movie and stuff but like usually what happens is first of all studios like block out certain release dates in advance to make sure they have it there so other studios don't take it and they also kind of plan to have sequels in advance right and obviously wonder woman is going to get a sequel and patty jenkins is already working on it 
um, with DC and Warner Brothers now, although she's not like signed on the dotted line yet. But the fact that they didn't already have that booked into their schedule is like crazy. (laughs) Because they have stuff like the Green Lantern Corps and like Shazam. And it's like, no one, no one knows or cares what that is. I don't think people even care about the Batman movie. (laughs) No, they definitely do not. And this is all reflective of studios with big, massive franchises like this planning things out so far in advance that they don't actually take into account reactions to the films as though the public doesn't actually exist except as a uniform body that goes to movies in the same quantity every time which of course is not remotely how the industry works which they know but it's like they say okay we're going to do all of these movies in our extended universe and of course they're all going to be equally successful and we're just going to keep going because we've brainwashed them into wanting what we want them to want which is actually a good place to segue into talking about the amazons and actually talking about wonder woman (laughs) again because One of the things that's been kind of coming out in the past few weeks is um, they're kind of extensively reshooting Justice League. And one of the things they're doing is they're adding Diana, Wonder Woman's mother and aunt, to that film. So they're going to have some flashbacks where they've got like Robin Wright as <laughs> as the character, as the, uh, the Amazon general Antiope that everyone like fell in love with in this movie. So they clearly were like, they're hurriedly realizing that everyone just wants to see more Amazons. <laughs> As well they might, because I think every woman who saw this movie was either like, this is the most exciting moment of my life because I finally got some, like, you know, horse warrior girls. Or they're literally, like, everyone is just like, I want to marry Robin Wright's general character. (laughs) She's so great. She has all these scars. She's got kind of, like, stringy arm muscles. It's amazing. (laughs) There's the one shot of her leaping off the shield (laughs) to shoot three men at once with the arrow I was just like this is the best thing I've ever witnessed in my life oh my god oh there wasn't enough there wasn't enough of her killing people I really and like on a bunch of the Amazons like there's there's been a few articles about this obviously because like it's the best topic but they hired I think it was a few of them were models and they had several professional athletes yes Um, obviously so like there's the the okay I'm trying to think there's like I think there was a couple of people who are literally like horse people, so they're like you know they're professional equestrians. Um, the like quite butch black woman is a professional boxer. Yeah, I was gonna say I she was my favorite. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I love you. You're so beautiful. <laughs> um, so and then there was like a few who were yeah there was a few who were like catwalk models, which you can kind of tell because like they look like catwalk models. But there was loads of amazing like behind the scenes photos and them all hanging out in their armor. I show them to my housemate Grace and she was like can we just get like framed photos of the Amazons to like put in the house <laughs> Patty Jenkins was on Seth Meyers a few nights ago and she told them she was talking about shooting the movie obviously and, and all of these women and how amazing they were and she told the best anecdote which was that they were doing this like endless beach sequence right which of course took forever to film and that they had all these men and all these like amazing women and that they would be hanging out at the pool and stuff and she said like so in my mind I was thinking like are we gonna have all of these you know Wonder Woman babies from like all of these attractive people like hanging out together and she was like but no in fact what happened was that like all the women were hanging out having a great time and then all the men faced with these like astounding women were just like sitting in the corners staring at them like, 
terrified. <laughs> I was like, that's beautiful. I love that, it. That's incredible. Very thematically appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It's amazing. Yeah. So the fight scenes, the, the fighting style they designed for the Amazons is so cool. Um, there's actually like, I saw like a really great Tumblr post about it, but it was basically what I was already thinking, which was they've been on Themyscira for centuries and they've got nothing to do and they're immortals. So they've developed this fighting style that's just like ridiculously kind of showy. You know, they're flinging themselves through the air and doing all these incredible like ballet tricks on the back of a horse and springboarding off shields and stuff. And it's like, technically I feel like a lot of this isn't necessarily efficient, but it looks incredibly cool and it works so well because you have this immediate contrast between all of the kind of horse ballet stuff. And then when you get to the first world war scenes, it's just like, the soldiers are not warriors, you know, they're all conscripts. So yeah. it's loads of really terrified, muddy men who, like, know that they have to throw grenades at other terrified, muddy men, but are, like, not necessarily invested in the process. And it's just such a great contrast. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the other thing about that that uh, Linda Holmes said on Pop Culture Happy Hour, they had a really good segment on this that we'll link to, was that they are, they look, it's very balletic, as you said, and also kind of, resembles gymnastics yeah and you know what do really athletic young girls often wind up doing because it's what's culturally sort of prescribed to them ballet and gymnastics right that's so that's a very good point because like yes. after watching the film i remember i emailed you and i was like did you i just realized this is like they just put a bunch of horses in because girls love horses <laughs> right. which is completely true also and indeed i was watching thinking like not sort of consciously but once you pointed that out i was like i really enjoyed all the horses in this film <laughs> like i definitely did like mm, yes my inner eight-year-old was very satisfied by the horse content here yeah they've got they've met they've, they've done it all they've got like they will call like um chris pine with his wonderful blue eyes riding a horse and they've also <laughs> caught chris pine at the point in his career where he's still in his prime but he's had a lot of hair treatments um because at the <laughs> beginning of his career he was obviously like cute in princess diaries too which i'm sure you've all seen um but his hair is like it's unbelievable if you google like what chris pine's natural hair is it is not the hair of a movie star and he has gone through a lot of extensive beauty treatments in the past few years, um, sometimes going too far, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's some things he moved onto his face, but he looks wonderful in this movie. And his hair is like so great. It's like an amazing kind of fictionalized version of what people think like an early 20th century haircut would look like. <laughs> yes. The, a lot of the I was very entertained by the general styling in this movie, which is very much like we're in the past kind of i will accept it fine oh yeah i didn't care at all but it was very much like eh, eh, kind of like whatever i don't that's sure i mean the sort of the suit thing she wears is basically accurate because yes. when she goes to england she has to get an outfit that's not a metal kind of bodice um, so they have this very funny scene where kind of uh, tr Steve Trevor and his secretary go to a shop and Wonder Woman has to pick out outfits and she's presented with all these like ludicrous early 20th century outfits and finally comes out with like a modest skirt suit, which is very Downton Abbey, as is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the World War One setting you mentioned earlier 
I think was totally a stroke of genius yeah on their part I think it was it the like the screenwriter or the producers or someone suggested yeah it was that. either because I think Patty Jenkins kind of in general pitched Wonder Woman relatively early like she was having meetings in like 2010 2012 but the studio or the writer was the person who came up with the idea of moving it to the first world war because the comics were the comics started in the 40s they were like a Captain America era thing but there's kind of a lot of World War Two movies, and this is really interesting, like to see one in World War One. Even though I think there's definitely a significant percentage of viewers who did not realize it was in World War One. I. I think people just thought it was in World War Two. Um, yeah. But like it, it does, just like the setting of the trenches is like such a great way to introduce her to like the the horrors of war and the idea of like an a non heroic battle, and it's all about this historical transition where she's kind of from this ancient warrior country where you're fighting hand to hand and it's all about kind of honor and then she's meeting people who are fighting people that they don't necessarily disagree with or know anything about because like some distant emperor has told them to but they also have all this high-tech weaponry because like the villains are inventing poisonous gases and they have machine guns and they're learning how to be snipers so they're like really far away from their enemies and that sort of thing um so it's like a really interesting culture clash yeah well as usual the sort of major failing of this film is the villain slash villains superhero movies generally have a problem with this yeah it's i mean aries became... is just bad he's just oh not God. a very good villain <laughs> yeah i will get to that in a moment <laughs> this became a sort of meme that like marvel was bad at villains and it's not just marvel it's just a endemic problem and as you say, I'm sure that many people watching this didn't realize it was World War One, particularly in America, because our sort of cultural memory of, of history doesn't incorporate that nearly as much because it wasn't as big of a deal. And certainly now, a hundred years on, it doesn't get taught in the same way. But all that being said, the big theme of this movie is basically Diana coming to accept that actually life is really complicated and often bad and that people are complicated and often bad and that that kind of is just how it is and that you have to deal with things anyway. And that the sort of pure ideas she had about human nature and good and evil growing up just aren't true. And the entire sort of effect of world war one and what it kind of represented obviously is anyone who knows anything about this will know was that it completely changed the nature of warfare because of the weapons technology which is represented in this film in a sort of you know fantastic way but then also as a result of that you know human society changed massively at least western society because people had to kind of reckon with the idea of what humans could do to each other and also, it's like, just... the reasons why people are waging war, yeah. right? Because, I mean, yeah. the... I mean, I wrote an article about this, which we'll kind of link to in the show notes about how the kind of the historical context, but basically the leading powers in World War One were all just monarchies that owned empires, like, across 
Europe and parts of North Africa, which they do have some of that in this movie. You know, they, they have like a scene with like the Ottomans and it's like, this is kind of monarchic powers that have existed since like the 13th century. Um, and the reason they're fighting is because an archduke got assassinated, but they have what basically amounts to modern weapons. You know, they have telephones, they have airplanes, they have bombs, they have gas. And they're killing people in massive numbers. And the reason why Hollywood loves to make movies about World War II instead is because even though it's a really big, horrible war, there's a really obvious villain because you can just be like, look, the Nazis are really bad. So you can just have an action movie where people like machine gun down a bunch of soldiers and it's, you know, perceived as morally okay. Whereas in this, like, you can't really do that. And, and they do try to do that to a certain extent because you have fight scenes where Wonder Woman is obviously fighting German soldiers. And like, I was basically like, obviously this isn't like perfect, but it's fine because they're attacking her and they haven't really covered this yet. I mean, I feel like it could have been covered in a more complex way, but like it was acceptable. But the fact that they had kind of these two German villains or like a German officer and a, I think it's Italian women who's working for the German army, um, they just seemed like kind of Nazi movie cliches. And it was sort of like, they really should have had some kind of, I guess, like a, a, a better look into the German army. Because right at the end, after the battle takes place, you kind of see various German soldiers take off their gas masks and you see that it's like these conscripted teenage boys and they're like really, you know, they've been in a really fucked up situation and they're like basically innocents um, almost. But it's very difficult to kind of reconcile that with just making an action movie where you can have someone kick ass, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. But like overall, it's still like a really interesting theme to explore historically. Well, right. I thought that they did a really good job in terms of sort of gesturing to all of those ideas. And I thought that using the setting was really interesting. And I appreciated that they did it. Honestly, if only just to have some kind of variety, right? I mean, I love me a World War II movie. Sign me up for Dunkirk. But you got to do a little bit of a different thing from time to time. But as you say... The villains themselves were not remotely compelling and very cartoonishly evil. I mean, they were fun. Um, you know, I, I do, I, even though I, I think that it was probably not the finest of ideas to be like, here's some almost Nazi looking German villains. I did actually find them very fun because they were so cartoonish. They were like red skullish, you know, because they, they're literally like cackling, you know, while making like evil poison weapons. So I feel like if they had just been like the secondary villains and Ares had been interesting, it would have been kind of preferable. But I feel like they were actually, I preferred them to Ares because Ares was basically just like the kind of the MacGuffin villain that Diana had to defeat at the end of the film. And because these final battle scenes are really very interesting, it did not feel as compelling as the emotional arc, which kind of ends with uh, Steve Trevor dying, which was amazing and very romantic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I found the two secondary villains. I just found them really dull. I didn't. And the fact that she has a, a sort of facial injury and a mask over that, I found aggravating because it's so obviously just a cliched example of, you know, someone is rotten on the inside and therefore has an yeah. external, what I mean, it was, I found that in poor taste, shall we say. But yes, the bigger issue I think is that then it turns out that they're just you know implementations of Ares's big plan 
and David Thewlis has been in like two scenes of the film, maybe three, and it turns out that he's the big bad guy, and then they have this big, you know, explodey fight at the end. And God bless David Thewlis. Like there was some tweet I saw that was like, "Say whatever else you will, but he sure commits to the bit." And I was like, "Well, that's true," because he just yells. A whole lot at the end of this film. He gives it his all. But because he's been almost completely absent from the film and because you don't know... It's pretty clear that there's something going on with him, but you don't know exactly what it is. There's no emotional investment in whatever it is that's going on. You haven't... There hasn't been any suspense. He just kind of shows up and then they have a big fight. And so... And it goes on for so long that it didn't serve, I felt, the things that the movie did really well, which were all of Diana's emotional character stuff, which I felt was, despite what I was saying about the film kind of being simple in a good way, that character is done in a sophisticated enough fashion that it is really compelling. I mean, she does feel really unique because yeah, she, you know, obviously like every every hero is sort of like, I want to do good, right? But like, that's kind of her starting point. She, there's no kind of impetus that kicks off her journey, which is something I've seen a lot of people commenting on, that usually the origin story is there to kind of position a character into a place where they have to become a hero. And her and Captain America are like two characters where they're introduced basically from birth. They're like really good people. You know, in her case, she's got these role models that she really wants to live up to kind of the Greek heroic stories that her mother tells her and like the example of her aunt as a warrior. And then when she gets to kind of the world of men, you just see how much compassion she has. She's really loving. There's loads of just really sweet scenes where she just kind of expects people to be better than they are. And like just really cute moments, like the moment where she sees a baby and she just yells, it's a baby. And I'm like, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Like It's just so adorable. Um, And you know, she kind of, she just has so much kind of joy in her um, and it does have that sort of kind of that element that Thor has but I think there's more freedom to make this character just be full of love because it's a woman I mean obviously that is the way the character was designed in the comics was kind of to be uh, the creator's kind of vision of like womenly virtues and why women should basically take over the earth that was his plan for Wonder Woman as kind of a propaganda tool <laughs> as a slightly eccentric type of feminist in the 1940s but um, she just is so warm and it's also really rare because there's kind of a tendency to overcorrect with the rare occasions when you get female heroes in movies and like even if it's characters who are good you know there's there's really you know I really love um, Furiosa and Mad Max Fury Road and I really like the Hunger Games movies and so on um, but there is like a tendency to either make action hero leads um, be very hard or to make them kind of emotionless which is kind of Scarlett Johansson's thing where she does quite a lot of movies where she's sort of like an impassive fighter or also just be like a kind of a sexualized warrior and she Wonder Woman is just like none of those things you know she does have like a very clearly well-drawn personality I think like even if you're like a tiny child you can immediately understand what she stands for Um, and she does have like a lot of feelings um, without there being like a sense of shame or weakness to have a lot of emotions which is a very obvious statement to say but I still think it's worth pointing out and I really love that about her yeah well that's what you get from having a female lead you don't get to actually experience it until someone finally gets around to doing it 
which I think is part of the reason why people, including us, were having such emotional responses to watching the movie. I think someone, again, on that Pop Culture Happy Hour segment was saying, she was like, I saw this movie and I was tearing up at like just the fight sequences. And then I went on Twitter and people were saying exactly the same thing. And I had exactly the same reaction. Um, I teared up the end to when Chris Pine sadly dies, but the scene where she goes out of the trench and then sort of pushes into German territory, which I think is an incredible sequence. I was like choked up, seriously choked up both times. And it's, it's meant to be sort of a big scene it's meant to be compelling and emotional but i don't know that it's meant to make you cry <laughs> but i mean i about... started crying as soon as the camera started like panning over all the amazons because i was like there's so many women <laughs> but also it's interesting that you say about the um about the kind of going over the trench scene which obviously like a lot of people have talked about because it's already kind of the iconic scene from this movie because i saw a kind of a little quote from an interview with Patty Jenkins where she said that she had to like really explain to the studio why they had to have that scene and they just didn't huh. I mean they let her have it obviously but like it wasn't like a fight but they just didn't really get why that scene was important and necessary and it's like uh, wow I mean it definitely paid off but like <laughs> it's, it's like the pivotal moment where she becomes a superhero that like, is amazing <laughs> to me I am boggled. Yeah. Also, it's an action scene. And as you were saying to me a while ago, there's not actually that much action in this movie. To its great credit, the movie benefits greatly from not having that much action and then having most of the action, not including the very boring battle at the end, actually be compelling and good and have emotion, have an emotional context to it. But if you took out that sequence, there would be like two things. So I don't understand what. I didn't get the impression it was something she had to like fight the studio about. But the idea yeah, that yeah. that wasn't like a really obvious. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's also clearly, Patty Jenkins clearly has like an incredible skill for pitching stuff and explaining why stuff is good. Um, and she's clearly a very positive and friendly person, which is how you get stuff made, especially as a woman in Hollywood, because um, God knows pitching stuff is really hard. Um, and she's like, her entire public persona is just like so positive and friendly and like supportive. And I'm like, you've managed to really tread the line here. <laughs> Although she, this is only her second film, which I don't say in any way is a detriment to her. I, in the interviews I've seen, she's completely delightful. And I think this movie yeah. is great. I mean, but... she did a bunch of TV and she's also like, I mean, she she was she was on pre-production for Thor two by the yes. time they replaced her because they like she wanted to do something very different and they kind of rejigged their plans for Thor two. And Thor yeah, two this is... sucks, so <laughs> they probably should have stuck with her. Is yeah. my hot take on I, that? I I actually now feel bad for the director who took over from her because now obviously in the post Wonder Woman kind of media blitz loads of people have been digging up old stories and like interviews with her where she says what her vision was and it was like oh it's gonna be like an intergalactic space romance and it's like yeah that would have been great <laughs> and then Instead Natalie of... Portman was like I'm never coming back to the franchise 
Well, and also, do you remember, it's completely a tangent, but just briefly, all the, like, good stuff in that film, Tom Hiddleston, like, wrote himself. Because they weren't going to have, like, any of the Loki stuff. Or, like, he was going to appear, but, like, not do anything. And then he was like, maybe we should add these things. I mean, the idea (laughs) that you can make a Thor movie. I mean, Tom, I mean, obviously, Chris Hemsworth is tremendous and also very funny. But, like, Loki is very popular. (laughs) I I mean, the reason we have Tom Hiddleston as a Hollywood product is literally just Loki. (laughs) I know. I am so aware. I, oh my god. So, this is what Hollywood gets for being dumb. I'm sure that they were like, a romance? We don't want a romance. That's bad. Boys don't like romance. And so they Even though Thor it. is the girl franchise, as we all know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. As Thor Ragnarok will continue to prove. Yeah. I mean, if they know what's good for them, there will be a scene where Thor rides a horse. <laughs> Actually, I oh, think there please. are scenes where they ride horses in the first movie. They ride yeah. horses along the Rainbow Bridge. I was going to say so along the Rainbow it. Bridge. They've, they've hit all oh. the right points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love Thor. Anyway, back to Wonder Woman. Yeah. Should we talk about the love story? Yes, please. Oh, so good. So compelling. I was, I mean, I wasn't surprised because... who genuinely like and respect each other, discovering things about each other and eventually kissing. What a great story. And having sex. I was very surprised. And they totally have sex in a very subtle and PG-rated way. Of course, right. Of course, they don't actually show any of this, but that's very unusual for movies like this. I just thought it was kind of interesting. I didn't really have like an opinion on it either way, but I just thought it was kind of a fascinating detail. In Marvel... We're supposed to think that, like, Star-Lord is this Lothario who, like, sleeps around and is a douchebag, but, like, all of his characterization is someone who would never be able to pick up a girl because he's a huge dick, right? So it's, like, it's not, it's a bit strange. But, like, with Tony Stark, he, like, sleeps around because he's, like, a James Bond kind of guy. But once he gets together with Pepper, it's sort of, like, you know, you see them kind of, like, middle-aged sharing a bed while she's wearing a t-shirt kind of thing. And I'm, like, did they, like, imply that his nice, like, pure relationship now is, like, better it's weird there's a lot of weird like they've not really handled the sex stuff in the in iron man franchise because it's you know for kids and they can't properly do it but um yeah this was lovely you know two people who really liked each other decided to get on and they had the whole thing where they basically make it very clear that the amazons are all gay um yeah which thank you for making that obvious because duh <laughs> As you, yeah, i think you like the first email you sent to me after seeing this was like wow they managed to have a genuinely compelling heterosexual romance while simultaneously implying that all the Amazons are gay, which is really quite an impressive feat. Yeah. I mean, to get both those things in the movie, it's like A+. Plus. Very and that wonderful scene job. in the boat where, like, kind of she has to explain that she's read Cleo's books of sexual pleasure or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> which apparently was, like, partly improvised by the actors, which is wild, because that's very good dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the stuff on, like, Cleo's treatises of whatever yeah, yeah, was that's, planned. That was written by someone. Uh, but but yeah. that whole scene was one of the best scenes in the film, for sure. It's so, so charming. I was very impressed by the fact <laughs> that, yeah. Um, I mean, Chris Pine fundamentally is a rom-com lead. Well, this is the thing. I was saying to our friend Charlotte that this is exactly the role he should play always. 
tonally speaking, because I have never particularly liked him in anything. And I found him completely delightful in this. Part of this, I think, is that I just don't find him, like, massively attractive. Have I you mean, seen him play the handsome fine. prince in Into the Woods? I have seen the one song. That, that's all you need to see, because the rest right. of Into the Woods is bad. But the one yeah. song, I actually recommend listeners, look up on YouTube um, the scene where Chris Pine sings the Handsome Prince song um, really melodramatically in the Into the Woods movie. It is incredible. It's a wonderful Chris Pine role. Um, <laughs> and it's like very yeah. much kind of like self-deprecating. Like he does have a sense of humor about it. And obviously they do kind of figure out in advance what to say about their characters to market them for this film. But I did like that they made it very clear that he was sort of like a supportive romantic lead in this film like when he was talking about it in interviews and it's like thank you that is what you are <laughs> yeah but what i was going to say about him was that he was in this film that actually got nominated for best picture last year hell or high water which was really good and i would definitely recommend it it was kind of a um, low budget current day western type thing sort of had political commentary ben foster and jeff bridges were also in it and they were both absolutely superb and then chris pine is playing the main character who's this kind of down on his luck guy and he and his brother who's played by ben foster are set up this series of bank heists to like pay off their foreclosed house or something i don't remember and he it's a completely straight dramatic role like i don't think there's a he gets a joke the whole film and it's he's playing like a lower class texan guy and People praise this role, so maybe others, you know, if, if you watch this, you would think he was good, but I did not find him convincing at all. I was like, you are a Hollywood person. <laughs> like, I don't believe this for a second. And I, myself, like, I saw the first Star Trek and I didn't love it, which I realize, again, many people would disagree. But I felt like this sort of balance of he definitely has some very compelling dramatic material in this, but also a lot of comedy was like the perfect sort of threading the needle between his of his skill set. Like you can do some of both. You don't have to fully go one way or the other. And it all comes together in a beautiful meld of just being very charming and appealing. Love it. It's the perfect balance of him. He is... He's not an action hero, but he's very competent. Like, he has a lot of skills, right? But also he's sensitive and understanding. And he doesn't look like he just eats, like, steroids for breakfast. Right. Uh, and it's kind of, it just seems like the archetypal example of female gaze version of having kind of an attractive, like, heroic male lead, right? Because all of the kind of, the DC heroes especially, it's, like, very physically intimidating and also like very self-absorbed kind of man pain character arcs and especially with superman like weirdly because that's not really how superman's meant to work but like superman doesn't seem like it, it, you don't understand why there's like this relationship with lois lane it's like do you like each other or have any interest in each other like what do you have like an interest in her personality this is a movie where like you have Wonder Woman wearing an incredibly skimpy costume. She's wearing like a metal corset and like a leather mini skirt for the, basically half the movie. And there was like multiple comments, or not comments, but like the film makes it clear that like people are noticing that she's gorgeous, right? And it's never creepy. And also he just finds her really charming and they both find each other's lives really interesting. And it's like, great, well done. You've managed to understand how like 
people fall in love with each other. (laughs) It's very novel. And actually, speaking of the costumes, like, I I was very kind of pleasantly surprised by this, right? Because um, well before the film came out, when they were releasing the first images from the movie, I was very, very dubious about the costumes. In fact, I think I wrote like a kind of informal blog post about it because I was like, they just released a bunch of pictures of like really like beautiful thin women wearing just like leather kind of corset outfits, right? And I was just like, this is not filling me with confidence, especially in a franchise that's dominated by the vision of Zack Snyder, right? Especially seeing as it's like, if it's armor, why does it not cover any of your legs or your shoulders? And if you're superhuman and you don't need armor, then why are you like wearing armor? But when you actually see them fighting, I was like, I do not give a shit. They look amazing. They look really strong. They're not like filmed. The, The camera doesn't follow them in a way that's like, look here's a woman's legs it's like look here's a woman who has legs right so it's like yeah. it's not it's so different it's very hard to define why there was no moment where i was like this is really skeezy i was just like it's so cool to watch like robin wright murder people in her little outfit but it doesn't feel like it's a little <laughs> outfit you know <laughs> well yeah and that was what made that ridiculous david edelstein review which we don't need to discuss but yeah there was there was a very about, it was sexist, very sexist. review <laughs> And and very leering. His review basically mostly focused on Gal Gadot's appearance and his opinions yeah. of it. Right. It made it so especially absurd because the movie isn't about that at all. I mean, she looks great, obviously. They all look great. But that's really not what's going on. Like, the movie is not about you sitting there, like, lusting after her, right? It's really doing something else. And that, again, is what you get with a woman directing the film. It really helps a lot. I was thinking, we were sort of talking about the fact that it would be nice for a woman to actually get to write a screenplay for one of these films, which I believe she will also get to do next time. Yeah, Again, she's she's already working on the treatment with Jeff yet. Johns, who's the guy who's in charge of all the DC movies. Yeah, but a man wrote this one, and like three men were got story credit. And I thought the screenplay was mostly very good. So good job to was it Alan Heinberg. Yeah. I mean, like, he, he did a good job, so, you know. I mean, there's always a few but... anonymous script polishers in the background of these. Oh, um, of course. You know, yeah. Joss Whedon does a lot of script polishing. You know, there's always kind of less famous people who do as well. So I'm sure at some point in the future we will find out who added stuff. But I'm sure Patty Jenkins was one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure, like, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind that she did a lot to that script while they were shooting. But that's still not the same as a woman actually getting to write the thing. And Nicole Perlman, who co-wrote Guardians of the Galaxy, is writing or co-writing Captain Marvel. I can't remember. But I, I mean specifically the when you occasionally get film about a woman of this scale. So that was that was encouraging. But I was kind of trying to think, watching it the second time in particular, of what the movie would have looked like if a man had directed it and of course it's completely a useless thought exercise you can never know and it and depends also it on the person. very much depends on the specific man 
right, I mean, right, I know we're I mean, enjoying making some sweeping generalizations, but I'm sure somewhere in Hollywood, it's George Miller, basically George Miller, the guy who directed Fat Mad Max. He is the one man. <laughs> right. Of course, there are men who would have done a good job. There are many of my favorite directors are men. But the scenes on Themyscira with all the women, like that just benefits so much from having a woman actually directing the film. And I think also with direction especially, even apart from screenwriting, there's kind of a distinction which I think you really have to think about to like really realise it, but once you've acknowledged it, it becomes very clear. Um, And there's a lot of filmmakers who even have like the best of intentions and like talk about their desire to make films with strong female characters, but a lot of the time they can't disconnect that from the fact that they are really attracted to what they perceive as strong women so they're like i've written this really or i've directed this really strong female character here and it's like you have but also that's because like you have a boner for some particular type of strong female character so it's automatically very different like even if it's even if it was directed you know by a woman who's attracted to women because you have that internal viewpoint you're not going to be objectifying her yeah it is a just a different thing and yeah just the importance of having all those different perspectives talking about it academically versus actually seeing it on such a big scale is really viscerally different i just kept thinking both times i saw it like how happy i was that little kids girls especially obviously were going to get to see this film which i think as we've kind of been alluding to is very designed with children in mind. And that's just really nice. Uh, I was saying before we started recording that I just so wish this had come out when I was like 13 because, oh my God, I would have been obsessed with it. Beyond, just beyond. I can't even fathom. I really, really liked um, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films, the first two around them. I wasn't like full on obsessed with them, but I really enjoyed them a lot. I would like to rewatch them soon, actually. But the prospect of this being like the big superhero film of that time is mind boggling to me. Like I can't imagine what my reaction would have been. And also the number of kids they're into like myths. Yeah. Yeah. You have like a trio of really cool to see a girl in a movie. Really cool to see horses. If you're like the horse girl. And then there's, for the nerds, you can get really annoyed by the fact that they depicted Zeus as some kind of Christian god who's like, I've made man in my image. And it's like, I don't feel like that's what Zeus did, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, see, if I had seen this at age like eight, which would never have happened because my parents would absolutely not have let me see this film at age eight. Yeah, sadly, I I think when when Spider-Man came out, it was rated 12A and I was like 11, one of the Spider-Man movies, I had to sneak into Spider-Man. Yeah. So that's the level we're going for here. (laughs) (laughs) But... I probably actually would have been too hung up on my pedantic, like, this is not accurate Greek mythology, so I cannot enjoy the rest of this film. (laughs) (laughs) So perhaps it is good that it's come at this particular moment for me personally. (laughs) Uh, Even watching it now, I kind of was like, that's not correct. That's not the correct mythology. I'll accept it, but uh, my seven-year-old self deep inside of me was fact-checking as we went along. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it so much. I think I said to you also that perhaps in the sequel we will actually get more than one central female character. That would be nice. 
of course we had the Amazons who were great, but after the first like 20 minutes or so, they're all gone. And then there's Etta Candy, Steve's secretary, who's in like two or three scenes, and that's it. I was thinking about Rogue One also, which has a kind of similar situation, although that's even more extreme. Yeah. Um, there's literally like one female character in that movie. And they were going kind of going on about how it was a female led film, which of course it was. I mean technically. But yeah, it's right, one of these things right. where it's like <laughs> Wonder Woman the Amazons is like kind of relatively diverse but like background roles and in the foreground you have, you know, these blonde, conventionally attractive Hollywood stars being like the main Amazons. And then there was the situation with Rogue One where they had a white woman in the female lead role who's also like looks identical to like all of the, all of the other female leads in Star Wars because they're all just like these petite brunette women. <laughs> and, and you had like a really diverse cast of male supporting cast members, but no like women of colour. So it's like Hollywood's kind of like gently kind of edging towards it from like various different sides without actually managing to have women of colour in lead roles. Except in Black Panther, which is the perfect film i have decided without having seen it um it is the only blockbuster that actually matters from this day on now wonder woman has come out is the previous perfect blockbuster so <laughs> i'm excited about thor also. i am excited about thor as well. i think thor is going to be very fun no but, but i mean just generally thor thor looks like hell. it's going to be a good movie yeah yeah but the thing with the the female character thing it you often do sort of have a situation where if Hollywood does manage to make a movie about a woman, it'll be a white woman, obviously. I mean, a big film like this. And then it's as though by sticking a woman in that lead role, they're sort of like, well, okay, we have our female character now. So we've got that covered. And now we can have a bunch of men. And the effect of that is, as you say, that women of color have a very difficult time getting roles. But also then you don't see women interacting with each other as much which is of course disappointing so it will be interesting to see what they do with the next yeah. one because i mean this i'm assuming they're gonna some... have to have either flashbacks to themiscira or like she'll find a way to get back or something but like this is definitely stuff that like patty jenkins will know you know yeah because <laughs> she already went yeah. like so far with the first one so i'm sort of like I just, I'm reasonably optimistic that they are, whatever time period they put it in, they are going to kind of inject another one or two women. Especially seeing as, because this was a story that took place in the trenches, it's one of those scenarios where you have to, like, reach a bit to persuade people that women were there, which obviously they were, but, like, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I wasn't, no, I didn't find I know you're it, not, like, criticizing like... Well, I am criticizing. Yeah, you are. But, but you're, not, you're not, like, poo-pooing it. <laughs> right, well, it's one of those things where the situation they have come up with, it's not wildly implausible or weird for her to be interacting primarily with men. But Hollywood has a strong propensity to create those situations in films of this type. And so even if it basically works in this movie, I guess the other woman is the scientist, but she doesn't really count. I don't think. It's just representative of a broader trend that is kind of the problem to me. So it will be interesting to see what happens. I'm hopeful that the next Star Wars movie is a little bit better in this way. Uh, but yeah, this film was wonderful. So no pun intended. And I guess if some strange chance you're still listening to this and haven't seen it, you should go. Or go see it again. It's box office is performing admirably 
as anyone would have predicted, except apparently the people who work at DC. But <laughs> who was surprised? Next week, we will be discussing Edgar Wright's new film, Baby Driver. Which is about a which... baby who's a driver. <laughs> Tragically, no. I really feel like it's a misrepresentation. It's a sequel to Boss Baby. <laughs> uh, premiered at South by Southwest to rapturous reviews. I believe it is coming out wide everywhere this week. Um, it was the thing he, it's been sort of his passion project for a really long time. And he finally got to do it after being fired from Ant-Man several years ago. So I'm very curious to see this cast. This movie is, is very hyped. Very hyped. Yeah. I feel like it's almost too hyped, but I'm still very curious. Even if Ansel Elgort, not my favorite, is the lead. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but as ever, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review on iTunes. That's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com on Twitter at OverinvestedPod, or on Tumblr at OverinvestedPodcast. Thanks. Bye.